starting this. All right, guys, I am so thrilled to have a good friend of ours, Chip Bueller. We, uh, Chip and I met close to 20 years ago. Uh, we were both a little bit younger and darker hair, and uh, but we both were we're involved in campus ministry, and that's and we just loved the, the college campus and what God was doing in that generation. And and over the years, you know, I came here, began to pastor the church, and and Chip has been has over the years has planted churches uh, in different places here in the United States, and really is just a leader of leaders. And uh, his heart is to be able to travel and to pour into other churches what is needed. And he's just such an amazing man. And so I want us all to stand and welcome Pastor Chip Bueller with us this morning. Amen. I, I do want you to know that, um, you be seated. Uh, we will be receiving, a, uh, after Chip shares, we will be receiving a Wonderful, bountiful love offering for this man. Amen. Love you, Pastor. Privilege to be with you all this morning. Um, I love Pastor Doug and Cindy Watson. I love Harvest Renewal Church. Um, Faithfulness. Uh, I I have two or three pastor friends that are actually pastors. Uh, If you understand fivefold ministry, most of the lead pastors and senior pastors I know, they don't really have a pastoral gift. And they're in desperate need of loving, caring shepherds in the church and, and uh, their gifts or something else. But um, to have faithfulness in leaders, consistency, faithfulness, commitment to a people in a place. Uh, most Christian leaders have a commitment to God, but to have a commitment to a people in a place and, and to carry out the pastoral grace, the relational commitments. But on top of that, to, to be Holy Spirit people to be prophetic, uh, to love the presence and the move of the Spirit, such a unique combination. And I've always just appreciated and enjoyed them and, and uh, the elders, the staff. We got to meet with some of the staff yesterday. Um, love the Harvest Renewal family and the history here. Um, I, Doug, Doug keeps um, shrinking down our relationship. I think we met in 91 or 92. I sat this morning after praying. I started writing dates down. So maybe I'll sprinkle some, some true dates into my message. We'll see. But um, just, just thankful for the faithfulness uh, that, that they carry in loving and serving and honoring God and being committed to you all. Love our hosts. We, you know, Rifle and Tiffany have hosted me and Faith and Rich and had time with different people and just always am enriched by the relationships, the heart for God, uh, the, the desire to pray, to see God's best in the expansion of God's kingdom. Um, I am in my 50s. We are empty nesters. Uh, Our kids, our two oldest are married and out of the home. They still live. I'm in Atlanta, travel from there, and so uh, the kids are all within 45 minutes. That's relative in Atlanta. If there's traffic, it could be an hour, hour and a half. But uh, um, our youngest is 21, and he's a junior in college. They all love God. They all serve God. They're all influencing other people. The greatest grace in our life, 
other than the gift of faith that God has given us for multiple generations in our Bueller family uh, is, has been a grace of family. And it hasn't been because we're perfect or we know what to do, but we've trusted God and he showed up in our families and, and done something uh, unique and special. And so we're thankful. I'm a granddad. They call me Pops back home, you know, so I, I love my grand one baby. My grand one cow, I call him my grand one, I'm going to get them all t-shirts. I'm going to start numbering grand one, grand two, grand three, and put a name on the back. That was cool when I was growing up. I don't know if it works anymore, but I'm okay with it. I don't need to be cool. But uh, we have a ministry 2020 vision, a travel ministry. Um, We've done lots of missions, campus ministry, church planting, and and, and a, a ministry called Axios, where we train and serve leaders, really focus in on business leaders, artists, entrepreneurs, uh, and people that feel called to full-time ministry, uh, but working a lot with people in bivocational uh, packages. In America, people always try to, try to do one thing, and there's always a fourth or a third of us that can't just do one thing. I almost moved to Kansas City to be on staff with Mike Bickle, but one of my talks As much as I loved and respected him, I said, I can never be a man of one thing. I can't. I can't just be in the presence. I've got to do missions. I've got to do family. I've got, there there are certain things that are a part of my identity and my destiny and the stewardship and call that God gave us. And and, and we we have to be a part, some of us. And so some of you, your work life is not singular and straight. Some of you will work for the same company your whole life. Some of you will live in the same house most of your life. But some of you, you're to be like me and you're to mix business and mix ministry and mix missions with other things and, and make the adjustments to follow God in that path. And so don't try to fit in the mold everybody else fits in. Be who God created you to be and do what he's called you to do. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, so thankful for the hosts and the hospitality. Just a little insight, if, if you've not been here with me before, um, how can I say this theological? Today I'm going to preach to you and teach. And some people are just preachers and some people are just teachers. When I preach, you're going to know I'm preaching to you because it's going to increase your faith. You won't understand what I'm talking about, but you're going to go, I believe. I know, I believe, I trust. That's what happens when you preach. You don't have to understand or remember anything I say, but when I teach, you're going to understand something. Something's going to be said, and you're going to be scribbling it down. You're not going to be able to sleep a few nights while you dig into that and ponder that and ask God about it and talk to people about it and get clear, practical, personal understanding about it. We preach the gospel, and people don't have to understand it. They, they believe. We teach doctrine, and people understand. But what I do is I mix them, and so some people go, what's going on? Get the tape. Focus on the one God has for you. If I have three to five points, if I have one point, if I have ten points, I have a good outline. I'll send it to you. Y'all are going to get the scriptures. Uh, they're not all for you. Listen to the voice of God. God has something to say to everyone in the room. You're not here by accident. I didn't visit Richmond because it was a good idea. I'm on assignment today. I'm in alignment. I'm appointed for this moment. You've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Open your heart to the one true living God. Don't have, if, if, if I'm talking and it's not to you, keep scribbling notes about the part that touched you or keep your focus and attention. 
the, the, your mind's eye, your heartbeat towards that part, and something will be added. But, but don't get lost trying to follow the trail. You get the part that's for you. Does that help? I do a lot of seminars, so we do question and answer and other stuff. And so Sundays after doing weeks of seminars is, is not the easiest thing. But I am so glad to be here and talk to you about destiny. Who wants to learn about destiny? I love puzzles. I love pieces and connections. Every joint has connections. We're all to be uh, partnered in, in covenant relationships and family and partnered in business and in church and in things. We, we have specific relationships and connections. So I love puzzles and staring at them and putting, finding the fit. You ever feel like a square peg in a round hole? You ever be doing those thousand piece puzzles and all you need is one piece to make it work and nothing will fit? There's a lot of people that are like that and so I'm hoping I can compliment what the Holy Spirit's been saying to you. I can uh, be, a, be a part of what God wants to do to grace you today, to increase your faith, to impart wisdom and direction that will carry you into your adventure time and the trainings and the roundtables and the things that the Holy Spirit has for the couple of days that are ahead of you. We're going to talk about destiny. We're going to talk about identity. I want you to get a word. Just one word can change everything from what's said when it comes from God's heart and his spirit directly to you. We're going to begin 2 Timothy 1.9. I believe you all have a, the scripture of that, do you? Aha, you've been saved, rescued, delivered, redeemed. That's good stuff. And called, invited, chosen for a holy calling, not according to your works or performance, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus as a destiny before time. Ephesians chapter 1, 3 through 6 and 11. Just as he chose us in him, when? Before the foundation of the world. He chose it before we got here. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Just an insight. God doesn't love you because you were holy and blameless. He chose you before and it's normal for him for us to be holy once he chooses us and we recognize it. Having predestined, having given us a destination before by adopting us as his kids in sonship. An identity in Jesus Christ by himself, not by us, by him, according to his good pleasure and will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he has made us accepted as his beloved. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the smile of your face and the kiss of your presence. We thank you for grace upon grace among us now. Grace to touch our lives to teach our minds and to empower our hearts to know you, to live our identity, and to fulfill the destiny that you have for us. Lord, increase our faith and give us wisdom from above to accomplish your will in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark Twain said the two most important, significant days in a person's life are the day they are born and the day they discover why. 
I've always loved chariots of fire with Eric Little saying, I know, I believe God made me for a purpose. He made me for China, for missions, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. So he won the Olympics and then he went as a missionary and he was a witness and a testimony, not in one thing. He wasn't just an athlete. He wasn't just a missionary. He was both and a Bible distributor, and he gave his life as a martyr, and his testimony has influenced so many. Destiny can be a mystery to so many of us. So let me define some destiny for you. God is so good to us in his word. I I could take time and just pick one word to teach it. The problem is all the words are connected in the Bible. So God might give you five or six different ways of looking at the same truth. And the truth is you only got to get one for it to change everything. But you get them all and it changes everything even more. But all you need is one. But they're all similar things. Let me give you an example. Destiny, purpose, and mission are different parts of the same thing. They're different parts. So you can find words of destiny or predestination. You can find words of purpose, words of mission. They're very similar. Vision and calling, very similar. Vision, you see it. Calling, you hear it. They often work hand in hand. Being chosen, being appointed. The word destiny in the New Testament, literally prorizo, means God determined or decided. There are some things you get to choose and decide and some things God gets to choose and decide. So your destiny is not doing what you want to do and being what you want to be. Your destiny is discovering what God chose, God decided, God determined. And letting that come first. And then he lets you be you on top of him being him in you. That's a whole different world. So we're going to begin not by getting ourselves fulfilled, but by finding out who he really is. It's his decree, his blessing, his ordination, his appointment beforehand. When you look it up in a Bible dictionary, it'll put before. He decided before. He determined before. He decreed this before. He appointed this before. How many of you believe in divine appointments? Have you ever walked into a situation not, not even expecting anything and you met someone or a connection was made, or finances were exchanged, or a door was open, or the whole direction of your life shifted through what others would say was a random chance meeting. We go, God did that. That was a divine appointment. I'm here to tell you your life is a divine appointment. That he has picked some times and seasons and places, and it's a part of your identity and of your destiny. He blessed you with spiritual blessings in Christ. The word blessing is eulogia in that Ephesians passage I read. What what does that mean? We wait till someone dies and we like to say some good things about them. What they did, who they were, what they accomplished, what they meant. And we call it a eulogy, don't we? Ephesians 1 said before the foundation of the world, God gave a eulogy over you. Before you were in your mother's womb, he already eulogized you. He already decreed and determined every good thing, godly thing, great thing, mountaintop. He already spoke it. He already chose it. There are good works that he has ordained. You're his workmanship. He's designed and prepared you for this journey of life. Then there's good works and divine appointments in this journey that we should walk in. He's designed us for them. He's destined them. But there's certain ones we get to choose, and there's certain ones he chooses. And if he chooses us and then we choose him, it's incredible what God does. He loves us, so we love him. Every great characteristic in the Bible, it begins in God and comes to us freely. 
But when we receive it, it changes us. And if it makes us like him and we give it back to him, that's where power, life, blessing, and clarity comes into the earth. There is a grace that's given by God, but there's a grace you need for the season of life that he doesn't give freely. You have to find that grace by taking Jesus' yoke upon you. There's a rest he gives you at salvation, but there's a rest you must find by taking his yoke and walking with Jesus and becoming like him. There's a love that's given, and it's yours freely, but there's a greater love that can only be found when we return that love to him and others. And the same is true with purpose and with destiny. God eulogized you before you showed up. What are you saying, Pastor Chip? I think I preached on this once a few years ago. I was a science major at University of Richmond way back. You want to measure decisions by the backdrop of eternity. 400 to 600 microscopic seed were in a race. Did you ever want to be a champion? 400 to 600 million, if I remember my science major statistics correctly, in a race. And you were the winner. You were the winner. And what God basically says was you won that race in your mother's womb because he decided you would be the winner because he wanted you to be here. Before mom had a twinkle in her eye and got fixed up for a date, before dad got nervous and tried to figure out what I'm going to give her and how I'm going to ask her, before any of that happened, before mom and dad decided to have you, God decided to send you. And he sent you on assignment and on purpose. It's a wonderful thing. So we shouldn't complain about the stuff that are, that are in us. You're here on assignment, alignment. You're anointed for it. It's a wonderful thing. Purpose. We're not looking for your purpose. We're looking for his purpose. Just a simple key when you look in the scripture. It was in the verses we read. It's a, it was three times if you, if you look through those verses. We are called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good for them that, you know, people always say all things work together for good every time something bad happens. And as a pastor, I go, no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. I know people not in the church and people in the church and people who've been in pulpits and people that have been in the pews that, that bad things happened and it didn't work together for good. Are you with me? It only works together with good. If you love God and you're called according to his purpose. If, you're just, if you don't love God and you don't love other stuff and you're just doing something selfish, that doesn't mean it's a part of it. If you're just pursuing your own way, that doesn't mean it's going to all get fixed. It doesn't. Consequences happen in this life. And then God can redeem. He can redeem different things. But we have to be honest with ourselves. Sometimes we've gone the wrong way and there's difficult consequences and, and God can't just make that disappear. He can heal it and he can give a redemption testimony, but he's waiting for you to say, I'm going to love God anyway and I want to go and find his purpose now. His purpose. A purpose is a showing forth. It literally is the same term as the showbread, Old Testament and New Testament in the temple. The showing forth. Placing something in view, making it visible to be seen as the biblical definition if you look it up in a dictionary. Meaning, purpose is not about you feeling good. Purpose, when you're living it, other people see and experience it. Through you, they experience and have an open door to God. Do you understand that? 
So God says, when you're in your purpose, other people see and experience something. It's in full view to them. Man, when you watch someone break a world record in the Olympics, and you're going, whoa, and you're watching that, and it's going, you know they're in their purpose, but you see human greatness. It's easy on an athletic field, but in any endeavor, you can see someone in something that's designed for it, that's labored in it, that's worked at it, and that's rising above, and you're like, whoa. And God's going, every one of you as a Christian is like that. And so we were looking here as to to fulfill that purpose, what's going to happen. The two New Testament words for purpose, prothesis and telos, mean God's intention and God's end, end result. God's intention and end. So ultimately what you say, when you say biblical purpose, you're saying you are divinely designed for a direction and a destination. If you want to ignore God's design for you, you're going to be frustrated and have difficulty your whole life. If you want to honor your identity in Christ and discover your design, but never go the direction that he sent you to move in, you're going to be frustrated and it's not going to work very well. And if you move forward in a direction with identity in Christ, I want to reach the world, but you're not actually pursuing the destinations and destinies that he desires and has ordained for you, the same thing's going to happen. So when we talk about purpose and destiny, the, the reason why people get confused is it's actually three different things. And so in this season of your life, the question is, which part of God's purpose or destiny is the Holy Spirit emphasizing for you? Leadership or influence is said to be, by presidential historians, a helm to grasp, a course to steer, and a port to seek. The term purpose or destiny includes all three phases. There is a place for you. You are designed for certain things. Being an introvert, being an extrovert, being a man, being a woman, being black or white or yellow or brown. There are things we don't get to choose to be. They were chosen for us. Did you get to vote before you showed up? That's going to be mom and dad. I'm going to be in this nation. I'm going to have this color skin. You know, I didn't ask for these shoulders and this neck. I can't get rid of them. I got them in high school and they won't go away. I can't buy coats for myself because my waist is half the size of my shoulders. and I have to sleep with four pillows or else I get a crick in my neck because God gave me these. I mean, am I going to complain about it? Or am I going to play football and do construction to finance me preaching and then be a football coach and develop character through it? I had to find design. God made me like this. (laughs) Ask my mom. So he put me in ministry so when people are relaxed, I can show up and be like this. And it's not ADD. Because I sit and study for 18 hours straight, not distracted, you know, but, but he made you like you stop being frustrated with your design, your spiritual gifts. You didn't choose them. He chose them. Your strings finders. Oh man, my top five are my wife's bottom five. And then God put us together where we're opposites in every single way. Because God wants us to complement and supplement and partner and serve and see the glory of God come through our churches and our families and marriages and businesses and all of that. It's a part of his purpose. But the question is, which part is he emphasizing for you? The role you play in this season, the helm you're to grasp, the calling, stewardship, purpose. That's a part of your destiny. Is it the course? 
and the race and the decisions you're navigating, there's some purpose and ordination in that? Is it the port you're seeking? Is, it that, that the, is that the destination? Refocus your aim to get to that place. All of that, biblically, is a part of this. Is this helping anybody? You are divinely designed for direction to a destination. Everything in our culture today, and I won't even add to it, is trying to find ways you can choose and develop both religion and humanism in our culture. Wants you to earn your identity and and produce your own destiny. They want you to earn it or they want you to choose it. But as a Christian, you have to receive it. You receive it. You don't choose it. You don't earn it. You choose Jesus, and then you find out, you didn't choose me, Jesus says, I chose you. (laughs) And I chose you and made you this way so you can be like this and do like this and go like this. (laughs) And it works. You think I'm kidding. You think ducks can be woodpeckers just because they feel different or want to be? You know? You think... I mean, you see a duck, you see a duck, and it's fine. It's like, and, and they get in a scrap over, and they fall in the water, and it's like they're upside down, and without trying, no effort, flip over, pitter-patter, all the way across to the side. I can't believe I just did that. I hope they're not filming this. Somebody's going to freeze that and make a YouTube video. You know, purpose, design, teleology, telos, the end, understand nature as designed according to certain purpose, moving to a determined end or conclusion. Everything in this life, you, me, hammers, toenail clippers, ducks, everything in this planet is an arrow directed naturally, purposefully towards certain goals. Everything in creation, God made a wannabe. It's created within it a DNA. You don't just take an acorn and it hopes it can be a palm tree and make coconuts because it likes sitting under the coconut milk that dripped from the tree it was stuck under. You let that seed fall on the ground and die, you're going to get an acorn tree generations later. you got stuff inside of you that's a wannabe placed by God for your spirit, for your soul, for your body, for your relationships, for your work, for everything. And we're here to discover and receive some of that and be encouraged by it. And to allow God, Jesus to be Lord and God to be sovereign in some of that. And not get lost in some theological argument of salvation. To say God is sovereign and Jesus is Lord is to say God is God and Jesus is God and we are not. There are things he decides. And it's what's best for all of us. And when we know he's good, then we understand that. I need to move on. I don't even know what time I started. Good. I can't see the clock in the back when my glasses are on, so we're all good. There's, there's, a, there's a portrait going, you know, Miles Monroe said, if purpose is not known, abuse is inevitable, like a hammer. I had to fix something on the back porch the other day. You know, then I had to go clip my toenails. That's why I put those in there. What if I use the hammer on my toenails? Using the back side? It's not going to work. What if I use the toenail clippers on the nail that had been 25 years in the back deck? You think that's going to work just because I want to? See, there's, there's something about this. There is a real finish line is what I'm saying. There is a real finish line in this life. Acts 20, 24. Paul says, everywhere I go, they're prophesying. I'm going to be arrested and I'm ultimately going to die. But he goes, none of that even phases me. I've got to finish my course. 
I got to finish my race and the ministry the Lord gave me to testify of his grace. 2 Timothy 4, 7, that I fought the good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. You see, you have a finish line of purpose in this life. And rewards and fulfillment and fruitfulness, that, that when we yield to God's purpose and follow that, there, it takes us through to a finish line that is unbelievable and is a blessing to us and to everyone else. That's what we fight for. That's what we're pursuing to finish. There is a finish line of people. That's why Jesus puts such an emphasis on reconciliation and love and repentance. It's not just so we can have a healthy start for a relationship with God. It's so we can have a healthy relationship with each other. I mean, he literally says, you can come here and raise your hands and dance before God and do all that, but God doesn't even listen if you're in a fight with another person that you're supposed to be in love and relationship with. This was Jesus' red ink teaching. He said, why don't you quit giving offerings and raising your hands at church, and why don't you go say you're sorry to that person and make it right with them? He actually cares about people in our lives. Some of us have people disconnected from us, and it was their responsibility for some of them it was us God wants to invite you to turn and ask him to help and to go communicate with them and see if a miracle of reconciliation can happen because there's something unique with certain relationships we have there is a finish line to cross to say we persevered and kept these relationships to honor God and to bless other people and there's a perseverance people are discouraged People are depressed in our nation. People are discouraged, and many have reason to be. But there is a, there is a finish line of persevering faith, of overcoming discouragement uh, that, that we should have. Um, Sir Mort, in, uh, a couple hundred years ago, in an Englishman that lived in Australia, created the refrigerator. <laughs> I like to study history, and when I see something I like, like food and refrigerators, then I research it. So he created the first refrigerator because he was the head of a shipping company from Australia. And when they would ship food, half of the stuff would go bad before it would show up somewhere. And he was a Christian man. And so he began to seek God and he felt like he was supposed to do something about it. And so he set aside three years to create a refrigeration system. 27 to 29 years later, he finished. And they loaded the first refrigerated ship in history and sent food that could not go bad across the sea, and he died before it landed. His office, where he did all of his shipping stuff, is now the office of a pastor in an Australian church. And in his office up in the roof, he had a motto, to persevere is to succeed. And he put it the first year, and it's up there the 28 or 9 times, all the way across till it met. To persevere is to succeed. To persevere is to succeed. I'm here to encourage you. You have a purpose and you have relationships that matter, and I want you to overcome the discouragement and trust God to reconnect with them and move forward. Because success, success is not money, it's not fame, it's being in the center of God's will with a smile of his face and kiss of his presence. It's being connected to the people that he has for us to be joined to in that season, and it's to be walking in the footsteps of faith that he's given us in those purposes and in those ways. He wants us to trust him and persevere. And, and he'll overcome in the midst of it. Uh, there's a transcendent cause. We can find eternal purposes or calling. Galatians 1, 15 and 16 uh, tells us this. It says, when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb, not when the doctor wanted it, 
Not when the people who set the dates, I showed up six weeks before the date they set for my mom. That must have been fun. No, you, you don't show up and come out of the womb, just, you know, this, that, or the other. When it pleased God, he separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son Jesus in me, that I might be a voice to tell other people about him. See, this, this whole thing is that God picks these times and seasons and, and the things of our birth, but he does that in connection, that identity and that birth with a purpose that's in the earth. And that purpose is about knowing Jesus, experiencing being filled, and letting Jesus be seen and heard in and through our lives. And the things that we do, and we do it in a myriad of ways. Don't lose sight of that. Um, you know, this generation is drowning in information and starving for true knowledge or relationship, genuine knowledge and relationship. And God wants to provide that as a part of our purpose, identity, and destiny. Let's talk some about discovering identity and fulfilling destiny. I've learned over 30, 40 years of ministry and life that that you cannot separate identity and destiny. You cannot separate the in Christ things from the through you and to you things. You cannot disconnect them. There's a give and take between them. And so we're going to talk about that. You see, everybody has identities. Some of us in here have a fake one. There might be someone with a stolen one. I had an expired one a couple months ago. You know, you ever get a letter from the DMV? Actually, I went to buy something from a store and they asked for my ID. And they went, you can't use that one. I was like, that's the only one I got. I didn't realize it, you know, I had to get a new one every eight years in Atlanta or Georgia or whatever. You got a fake ID, expired ID, a real ID? That's the question. Let me, let me give you some lies of identity, a little teaching real quick. You don't have time to write these, get the tape. Six lies of identity. I am what I have. No, you're not. Whether it's a lot of, I am what I do. No, you're not. We all, we, we all have this one. I am what other people say or think of me. I hope not. I already touched on this one. Welcome to America. It's the American Idol Syndrome. I can be who and what I want to be or choose to be. I'm always on American Idol because I want to have fun and I want to do what I love and I want to be rich and famous. And you can't even carry a note. I mean, Dr. King, you know, my parents were involved in the civil rights movement through the 60s when I was born and stuff. And I have great reverence for Dr. King, but I had a dream for my life. I was going to be a heavy metal rock and roll guitar player, or I was going to be anointed praise and worship leader. But I break guitars, I don't play them. And I cannot carry a note. I cannot touch a note or hit a note. And my kids told me in their screamo Christian music phase that those guys actually could play guitars and hit notes. In the rap phase, the same way. I couldn't follow it, but that whole generation could. All the things... Uh, Anyway. (laughs) Am I helping anybody? I knew a businessman that was sitting next to a woman on an airplane... He was telling the testimony at a conference recently, and he's sitting next to a woman on an airplane, and she's talking about how 30 years of her life she worked in an office 
frustrated and depressed and, and hated what she did and didn't like life. And her whole life, every time she'd come home from the office, she would garden outside. She had the most beautiful yard, most beautiful garden, most beautiful plantings and flowers. And, and it would help everybody do that. And after 30 years, she woke up and went, maybe I should be a gardener. <laughs> she wasn't a Christian. It took her years to quit her job. And then she starts prospering financially because she's doing what she loves. She's doing what she's gifted in. She's doing it. And don't take Pastor Chip wrong. I'm not saying you don't have to work for years and sometimes decades at jobs that are not your greatest passion or your greatest strength. The passion, purpose, destiny puzzle is a mixture. I've delivered UPS Mac packages so that I could do missions. I'm on boards of churches and I've worked real estate jobs and consulting and coached football teams and done anything I could do to pay the bills, to be around my kids and to accomplish the things God said because I couldn't do those things while pastoring a church. And I could pastor a church and get paid a salary, but he told me not to the last 15 years. So, so don't, think, don't think when I was delivering packages for a year straight for UPS, I'm going, I'm witnessing for Jesus and changing the world. for the, you know. But you know what I was doing? God was resetting things in me, and he put me at a place that I can teach and train businessmen, and I can talk about work ethic, and I can talk about, no matter what God said to you, if you don't put some diligence and hard work and honor into it, it's not going to bear the fruit that you're dreaming of it. So there's a, there's a mixture of, is this helping anything? I mean, fake, expired, real, stolen. I was going to talk about those, but I'm not going to do it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you though. Oh, this is fun. Okay, take my time. Internal identity dictates external lifestyle. Nature determines action. That's why you're a chosen priesthood, royal people, a holy nation, a people that belong to him. We are chosen and firstborn, not left out, not left over, not unwanted. We are chosen, but God chose us because he loves us. Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 8. He chose us because he loved you. God chose us because he is strong, not because we are strong. So that his strength can be seen through our weakness, Corinthians tells us. Oh, I have some notes under here. Y'all wouldn't like to see my notes. We'll freak out on this. God chose us because he is wise, not because we are wise. That's what the New Testament tells us. God chose us for future fruitfulness, not because of past successes, and you're not disqualified because of past failures. He chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, and that fruit will last. We're royal. We're special. We're not like everybody else in the neighborhood. We're not like the other people in the world. We go through similar negative circumstances and pains, but we're a different person. Chosen, royal, special, holy, you're different. You're set apart. Your identity is in Christ. It's a powerful thing. What am I, see, um, with, with a lot, I didn't finish lies of identity, did I? I can be who, what I want to choose. Oh, here's, here's one. I am nothing more than my worst moment. That's a lie. I see this one in the business, in the athletic world. I see this one all the time. Uh, I am nothing less than my best moment. We just call that pride and arrogance. You're going to always see what's said with vision and calling and purpose. It's why you need healthy encouragement around you. Habakkuk 1, 2, 1. 
uh, stand your watch and watch to see what God will say and how we should answer when the things are corrected um, or asked of us. And then it says, write the vision and make it plain. And it teaches you about vision and about calling. And, and listen to what it says. It says, stand your watch. Go to a place and watch to see what God will say. I'm going to try to help you here. Some of you have a prophecy or a vision or a dream for your life, but what you saw was something out there. But God wants you to see right here what the steps are to get you there. And when he does that, he says you got to see what is being said. And you, you have to hear things many more times than you see them. In Genesis 1, um, God didn't just show up, say one thing, and then he saw that it was good. It says he, he spoke this, and then he called the night, day, and this, that, and then he formed this, and then he did this. God would actually in those days sometimes do four, five, six things connected to his speech, and then it would be seen it's good. That's why it says faith comes by hearing, Romans 10, 17, and hearing, and hearing, and hearing. And when you get in alignment, you have to be able to see what is said. What I'm telling you is the speed of light and the speed of sound are different. When you get a prophecy, you have a dream or a vision. So the speed of light is 186,000 miles per second. That is far and fast. You get a glimpse of, I want to give my life, and, and, and this is what it's going to be. And then you've got to come back and live the nasty now and now. And you've got to overcome discouragement. You've got to, you've got to get into the word every day and build your faith. And, and you've got to make the decisions as, as a Christian, as a child of God, to navigate so that, so that you can receive what's said and hear what's said and get encouragement from others and truth from the word. And then all of a sudden you'll be able to see what's being said. And when that, that happens, there's breakthrough. 1 John 1, 3. That which we have seen and heard, that, that which we've handled with our hands, it's become real in our life, we can tell you about. And so you need to understand, some of you, you've got a vision or a word or something out there. It's time to come back. It's time to come back and build daily. It's time to come back and overcome the daily discouragements and put the word in there. So a little help for you. You can tell, are you living inside out or outside in in this process? He sounds 1,100 feet per second. That's, that's right here. We need to hear it, 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 decide it, put our hands to it, do something with what we hear, hear it, hear it, then you see it. You're going to see what's said. Everyone's going to see what's said. If you live outside in and let the world, five senses, natural circumstances affect you, identity says, um, I, does what I see and hear determine what I think and feel about who I am? Does what I see and hear out there on the news, in the neighborhood, by an alcoholic father, by a depressed mother, by an angry spouse that beat you and left you? Does what I see and hear in my circumstances, does that determine what I think and feel about who I am, why I'm here, what I'm to do? See it in athletes and business people, politicians all the time. Or does who he is and what he says determine what I think and feel about who I am and what I'm supposed to do? That's identity. It begins in him. You see, identity is, is stored in, in Jesus in this, in this process. It's um, a real problem as we build our identity on something other than the Lord. You see, God has not called you to be a better you. God did not give the word, call me to ministry and send his Holy Spirit and send me to Richmond so Chip could be Chip in all of his glory. I know that seems stupid. I just felt like giving some drama in case someone was tired. 
He didn't call me to, didn't call you to be a better you. He called you to be like Jesus. To daily deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him, lordship, discipleship. You see, when you see Jesus, it settles your identity issues. I want to try to help you with a foundation with some of you that are like, Jesus showed up to John, Revelation 1.11, said, I'm Alpha and Omega. John didn't need a revelation of himself or even his own identity. He needed a revelation of who Jesus is. Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't say, John, I've appeared to you in order to establish your identity and show you who you really are. He just showed up and showed him who he really was, and it changed John to be who he really was. Is this helping? He received the identity. Seeing Jesus settles our identity issues. So some of you spend so much time trying to work on it, but when you see him, it changes you from glory to glory to the same image. It activates the wannabe that God planted in you at birth, at natural birth, at spiritual birth, and it catalyzes that stuff. And so there's a few different ways that God works with us with this. Uh, I'm going to give you a few identities. Um, Number one, human identity. Don't think that your only identity is in Christ. You have a human ID, a human identity, and it's real. God created Adam and Eve. He created humanity, and he blessed them, and he gave them a relation, said you can walk with God, you can have relationships that work with purpose, and you can work with dignity. And he did all of that before the fall. And human life does not work without aligning to have faith or walk with God to build some godly relationships and to work and to see the dignity of work. So we all have purposes in that. So you can't just go, I have identity in Christ and I'm called of God and I'm anointed by him and I don't need to work. Work is a part of the dominion mandate. It's a part of the identity of being human. It's one of the greatest witnesses and avenues of you blessing every person that's outside of this church and bringing that grace and witness and anointing to others. God made us in his image and likeness to have the dominion in the earth. See, as humans, you're created to be, to belong, to become and beget. It's all in Genesis. And a lot of times we do our identity and all we focus on is being in relationship to God and in Christ. But if we don't belong to him as the beloved, if we don't belong to some relationships in the earth that he created us for, it's not enough. If we're not becoming through the abiding relationship and the identity in him and growing to be more like him, it's it's not working. If it's not producing something outside of me that's not for me, in my own kids or grandkids, in my own business, making money so I can hire other employees and help other people, or being in politics not for my agenda, but to actually help people or put principles that will work, or whatever it is, you've got to produce something too. God created us for the identity to produce something outside. But I have a Christian identity. My Christian identity, I'm a child of God. Sonship, I'm in the beloved, I'm the bride of Christ. And this helps you when you look at Romans 8, 29. Uh, You know, calling and all that stuff. And it says you are predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. So I want to help you. If you're a believer in Jesus here, don't get caught up on destiny and predestination. God predestined sonship, bride, beloved. He predestined um, internal identity. He didn't predestine your outward activity or position. So if he predestined to conform you when you're in relationship with him to the image of Jesus Christ, 
then don't think God predestined you to be the coach of the team or the boss of the business or the senior lead pastor of the church. That's thinking outward activity and outward position. Are you following me? He said, no, everything I'm working for the destiny of allowing you to be more like Jesus and the fruit and the gifts of the Spirit, to be more like Him and to allow that to come through the prism of your personality and of of your graces and your experiences and your gifts. And when that comes through you and He can be seen and heard, He can be experienced. He goes, that's what's taking place. Predestined identity, not position or activity. That's what He's working with in us. So recognize it with, you know, um, with some of these. I know I've been very influenced by Booker T. Washington and his writings as well as um, George Washington Carver and the story of his life. And both of them have, have the stories of um, using some of these identities to change the world. And they have a message for us, anybody in this generation, to take a peanut And to ask God every day to give you the ability by the Spirit of God, because God has put you there for this purpose, and by the scientific mind to unlock everything God wants to do and get out of this peanut and change the world through peanuts. I like peanut butter. Have I lost you? you, Somebody's going to discover a cure for cancer. Somebody's going to get their identity in crisis, going to put them in activity so they can help people not commit suicide. Somebody's going to be touched, but, but you've got to stop looking at all this. Let it happen here and then make the difference by carrying and walking that out. It's such a wonderful thing. There's another identity that you have. It's not just as a child of God or the bride of Christ. You're not just the beloved. You are a king and a priest unto God. Did you know Jesus never claimed a, a single spiritual gift? And i got to land this plane somehow. He didn't claim a single spiritual gift. But by not claiming a single spiritual gift, he claimed two relationships and offices. And prophecy did too. And if you want to live your identity consistently and fulfill the destiny and purpose God has for you, you have to claim the same two Jesus did. The other ones won't work and generate and catalyze it. So he never said, I'm the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, yet everything he did was apostolic and prophetic and evangelizing. And so it all came out of him. But he never tried to be any of them or claim them. He says two things. You can look in the prophecies or in Hebrews. He says, I am a son of the Most High God, and I am a priest in the order of Melchizedek. I am a priest of El Elyon. You are priests. And I love all types of Christians, but that's why we don't believe in hierarchical priests and popes. Because you're a priest too. The priesthood of the believer changes the world. The priesthood of the believer brings revival and reformation. The priesthood of the believer says, anything Pastor Chip or Pastor Doug can be and do, you can be and do when you're in Christ and he puts you in it. It's, it stops all of this top-down stuff, and it makes a movement in and through our lives. The priesthood of the believers, when you understand I'm a priest under El Elyon, the Most High. See, Jesus didn't come to represent all the names of God. He came as the Son of the Most High. Read the Sermon on the Mount. The God of grace, love, mercy, and forgiveness. And when you come under that... You come under that and you live as a priest. I'm going to mediate. I'm going to pray. I'm going to worship. I'm going to intercede. I'm going to reconcile. I'm going to show mercy and compassion. I'm going to tell truth when people ask me about God's grace, love, mercy, and compassion. 
You're not protected in terrible times. Just because you say, I believe in God, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High. It's got to be under grace, love, mercy, and forgiveness. Under the mercy seat. And Jesus said, this is the way you do it. If you'll be the priest, you know what it is? It's the Holy Spirit. Pastor Chip is saying, tag, you're it. It's not the pastor's job. It's not the elder's job. Billy Graham has passed on. It's not his job. It's the priesthood of the believer is the tag, you're it. If it's the darkness there, if it's the person there, if it's in front of you, you can step into it and you can intercede. You can reconcile. You can love and you can serve. You can be the witness and make the difference. And the conclusion is there is a witness identity. See, we know these things from missions breakthroughs. You're a disciple. You're a witness. In love, we are worshipers. We are servants. We are witnesses. God didn't give you the Holy Spirit so you could just be alone with Jesus. He gave you the Holy Spirit, Acts 1, so you would be witnesses of Jesus. I stopped saying evangelism because then people misunderstand. I'm not saying you have to hand tracts to people. I'm not saying you have to go to people you don't know and try to convince them to believe in Jesus. I'm telling you wherever you go, you should be who you are all the time. And people should ask why it's different. And then you tell them what you've seen and heard. That's a witness. You're not there to convert them. You're not there to confront them. You're just there to testify and be a witness. I take the stand. I had the right to be a child of God. It's legal and it's experiential and I'm a priest of the Most High and they put me on the stand and go, why do you do that? And I go, because when I pray in Jesus' name, he answers, can I pray for you? I don't have to convince them. I've traveled to places overseas where people are being won to Jesus by the thousands and they don't explain anything because their life's a mess for 10 years they can't confront a coworker, and the coworker says, you're having a tough time. Did you know if I pray in Jesus' name, he answers? Don't explain anything. Pray a prayer. Ten years of problems disappears in 24 hours, and they're bringing their whole family back. Hey, tell them something you told me. Oh, we'll teach them on the other side. We'll make disciples on the other side. But some of you are waiting for something that you've already gotten. You already are. So you have a witness ID in this community. And what that is, is, do your neighbors see and know you like your brothers and sisters in here do? Do your coworkers see and know you the same? I'm not going to read the other scriptures that I gave because I'm over time. But you get into the witness and the, the worship, the great commandment and the great commission motivated by love to be a witness. Oh, it's a powerful thing. It has changed nations. It has changed leaders. It has changed generations. I've been in Amy Carmichael's mission compound in India. David Livingston got two verses and then went to Africa and served the rest of his life. I've seen it transform lives. The same presence, the same identity, the same calling, the same power is with you to cross the street, to talk to a co-worker who's lost a loved one, to see a situation that's dark, come to the prayer meeting of the church and pray, and then actually believe I could walk in there and invite Jesus to show up and help and comfort. And he'll give you the wisdom on the other side. Pastor Chip is here to encourage you. God picked you. He chose you, elected you, and predestined you. He has a 70, 80, 90, 100-year plan for your life. He's placed you here in divine placement for this season. God works generational purposes 
40-year purposes, 400-year purposes in Genesis 15. God has a people. God has promises for you. God has an inheritance and a promised land for you. You were designed for specific direction to reach certain destinies and destinations. Don't believe the lies of humanistic and religious identity. You're not more spiritual by being less human. Recognize you have a human identity just like you have a Christian sonship identity. The difference is all of the human identities in Adam and Abraham and us, you leave the negative aspects of the human identity. You leave the negative things of mom and dad, the negative things that were done, and you carry the positives of those in because that makes you relatable and the ability to connect and be trustworthy with other people. You don't just get rid of them. So the end of this is my encouragement to you. If Christians and Christianity once turned the world upside down, it can do it again and we can do it again. Acts 17, 6 and 7. I'm here to encourage you that the Holy Spirit is saying, tag, you're it. You have your identity. Ask him for which part of his purpose and destiny he wants you to grow in and trust him in and move in? Is it the placement and the stewardship and the work, the helm to grasp? Is it the design that he has for you, that you've been doing some things outside of your design? I would not do good as an accountant or an artist. It's not in me. Somebody got to let go of some of that stuff. Is it the course? Is it the port that you're moving towards? Destiny is yours. God is with you. Tag, you're it. He's going to bless you. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would do something in these men and women's lives that only you can do. As a child of Christ, I want them to know you so that they'll be who you made them to be. I want them to hear you say, this is my beloved son or daughter in whom I take pleasure. I'm asking as I pray that we would be freed from the confusion that people bring to us about who they think we should be and what they think we should do. I pray that you would free men and women in here from those that have been voices in their past and their present that always underestimate them and don't see what you see and are not in agreement. I pray that you would free us from the hurt and the fickleness of other people's opinions. And I pray that you would liberate us to live a human life a beloved Christian identity as your child and a ministry life as your king. Lord, you've anointed us by your spirit to be a mouthpiece as prophets, to carry your authority as kings in the earth against the enemy through the power of being a priest and mediating worship, intercession, reconciliation, and mercy. God, we're asking that you would touch us in a special way with this and do something powerful with it. Let the power of your love carry us to a place that we haven't been before to have the fulfillment that you've ordained for us because we were fearfully and wonderfully made when you formed us in our mother's womb. Now, let each of us, Lord, let each of us embrace and find the good works that you've ordained that we should walk.